0: Hey, welcome to Terminal Talk, episode 14. 14! Today we have a wonderful speaker.
1: Oh, I thank you. Um, it's an honor to be here, and uh, I'm just glad you're finally me.
0: In, in addition to Jeff, we have a great speaker, oh. Neil Shaw. Fantastic. Neil Shaw is a cisprog, cisprog. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk to him uh, about, well, uh, initially it was about Live, but as soon as he starts talking about ParmLive, it kind of spreads out to how do I get the system started and how, how did these, you know, components work.
1: These episodes are really getting harder and harder to draw, like, a line around.
0: Yeah, and I think that's kind of what makes this cool is you start to see that everything kind of relates with everything else. There's a real butterfly effect as you start to look at how things work
1: one of the things we wanted to do with neil was uh uh my favorite acronym which we did with uh jay brenneman where we uh, rattle off a bunch of acronyms and uh a couple of them fake and he lets us know which ones he thinks are fake and he got a little upset i think that he uh
0: yeah it's really kind of funny (laughs) when we did that because you know the what an acronym stands for is not always that important because you can rattle off a bunch of uh, three letter acronyms that mean very little, but understanding what they do I think is really way more important than whatever history it was that created the acronym
1: so yeah when we when you do my favorite acronym it is it is all for fun and uh, <laughs> the, the idea that most people don't know what hasp stands for is uh, kind of what we're trying to get down to here is you know what it stands for doesn't matter. I think we still had a lot of fun anyway,
0: yeah, and I think here's a guy who really understates his own importance although I, I would say a lot of our guests have said I, I don't really know what I'm going to talk about uh,
1: but he will be the first person to tell you oh I've, I've no idea about that I'm complete noob in this area uh, and that's you know that is one of the things that keeps this area uh, just so exciting and and always interesting is there there is nobody that knows the whole thing
0: well and you you're never bored there's always something new to do yep so without further ado Neil Shaw. It's time for the show that records straight to tape, Terminal Talk with Frank and Jeff. So we're lucky we have Neil Shah, a system programmer extraordinaire, Mm -hmm. uh, who's been doing work not just as a system programmer, but has been doing work with uh, development for a really long time, right?
1: I heard 50 million
2: years.
0: Fifty million years.
1: (laughs)
2: Wow. A few years. Congratulations. (laughs) Make you feel really old.
0: (laughs) So could you tell us a little bit about – you're not just a system programmer. Could you tell us a little bit about the work that you do?
2: Right. So um, I get access to some of the early software and early fixes and early code before it goes generally available. So what that allows me to do is I can install the code and test it on my systems. And if I don't like the way it works or I don't think it works the way it should, I can feed that back to development. And, you know, they can tweak it and modify it so that it's more consumable by system programmers and by end users as well.
0: Well, and you've been doing this for a long time, not just as a guy who plays with it, but a lot of the development uh, rests on systems that you support, right?
2: Right, right. So what is neat about the environment that I support is I support the ZOS development environment. So we use this term eat your own cooking so i install the code that was written by development onto the systems that zeos development runs on so we get to see it in action
0: and that's a large number of people right
2: oh yeah it's it's hundreds or thousands of people spread across the world so it's it's 24 by 7 and it's it's yes it's a lot of different users a lot of different applications and um yeah the the gamut of what we do on this environment is is, you know, from Jez2, which is a job entry subsystem, to RACF, to parallel SysPlex, to Unix system services. So it spans the gamut.
1: No pressure, though.
2: No, no. So not it, at all. So it's
0: safe to say you know a little bit about the system and how it works.
2: Yeah, yeah, just a little bit. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you can never know it all. There, there's a lot to know.
0: But as a as a person who understands generally the system, you're you, – Could be considered an authority on such things because you understand how all the pieces fit together.
2: I I guess you could say that. Like I said, so when I started out as a system programmer, you know, fifty billion years ago, as you said, (laughs) it's funny. I started out as a JES2 and SDSF system programmer. You know, that was way back in the day where everyone was very specialized. As I grew throughout the years, I just kept building and kept adding on to it. You know, I did TSO, I did RACF, I did BC. MVS, which we also call as BCP, and then Unix System Services, I got to WebSphere. So we just kept building on the different pieces. So a lot of the terms that we use are, you know, the breadth. So what I wanted to do is make sure I had that breadth of components and, you know, be able to dive deep if I needed to. Well,
0: and I think that, that's great because it gives us kind of the context to talk about different components. So let's start with, with ParmLive. What, what is ParmLive?
2: Okay, so ParmLib, and there's a lot of different ways to describe it, but ParmLib is a set, is a data set that contains members. Now, I was trying to think of an easy way to describe this. I had to do a presentation, I don't know, maybe 25 billion years ago, (laughs) (laughs) a few years ago on when Unix System Services came out. And for those who have been around for a while or haven't, it used to be called Open Edition MVS. Then they renamed it to Unix System Services. But anyway, I was given a presentation for our MVS system programmers on what is Unix System Services. And my little table, my little box that I had drawn was Sys1 ParmLib is what we have in MVS. The equivalent of that in the Unix world is slash Etsy. So Etsy is the configuration system. So uh, uh, the files that store the configuration files for Unix. In another analogy, I was thinking... In Windows or distributed environments, it's almost like the settings or the control panel. So it's a set of members, which we have in, in ZOS, that controls the system or that customizes different components in the system.
1: Now, I, I've seen, you know, there's everyone, there's this one dot ParmLib. I've seen other ones, too, like a sys, uh, you know, something else dot ParmLib. How does that Play into things.
2: Okay. So, what you can have with Sys1 ParmLib or ParmLib concatenation, it's called, you can have a series of data sets. So, you can have a Sys1 ParmLib that contains 50 members that customize BCP and, and a couple other components. Then, you can create a separate data set that has a specific members just for another component. So, that way, a system programmer wouldn't have to update Sys1 ParmLib. They can update Sys1.parmLib.neil, for example. So from a security point of view, I could lock out sys1parmlib so only that other user can only update sys1parmlib.neel, for example. Okay. So I can kind of protect my system. I, you know, I don't want him to touch my other Parmlib. I want him to touch just sys one Neil, which has – and I'm going to make something up – the, the um, customization member for Unix, for example. So.
0: so. So system programmers can create this kind of very secure environment where they say – These people are tied to this piece of the system, those people are tied to that piece, and they don't ever have to see the other configuration items. Correct.
2: Correct. Right.
0: So is that the normal way of doing this or do we just kind of – most companies just have one big hunk in ParmLib. Yes.
2: So most of us do Sys1 ParmLib and everything is in there. But uh, I have – in some of my systems, I actually have another ParmLib data set. Where I want there's something called the configuration member, which has all the devices, the chip bids, how many CPs, et cetera. So this member says these are the addresses, the physical description of what that LPAR should look like. So I have that member in a separate data set, so my configuration team can just update that member and they don't need access to update my you know live Sys1Parm Live, which has, you know, three, four hundred members in it.
0: In in that picture, that's are those things that are like at the top of of Palm How does how does the system find that stuff when when you're when you're booting it up?
2: When you okay, so normally we would call booting up like IPLing, right. so initial program load. So on something called the HMC, which is the hardware management console. You specify an address, and this address is the IPL address. So the IPL address contains, think of it like a bootstrap, has a bootstrap record, and this is what we're going to load, like, for example, Windows. You're going to boot up Windows, we're going to boot up ZOS operating system, or we're going to boot up ZVM or ZLinux. So for the ZOS case, so we put in the IPL address, then we're also going to put something called the IPL PARM. And the IPL PARM is going to point to a bunch of things. It's going to point to something called the IO definition pack, the IODF. And then it's also going to tell us tell MVS where to look for Sys1 parm Then once, once MVS finds where Sys1 Parmlib is, there are certain suffixes that you're going to use, but he's going to start with the load XX member. So, for example, if I put in the HMC, you know, certain IPL address, and I say a suffix of NS for Neil Shaw, for example – the system is going to look for something called LoadNS, and LoadNS is then going to point to Sys1 ParmLib. He's going to tell MVS, okay, pick this member, and then it's going to start with IA Sys XX. So just to be consistent, we'll say IA Sys NS, and then MVS is going to start to look at IA Sys NS. And what that is, is that's just, think of it all as like an index. It's going to have a whole bunch of different ParmLib members in there that's going to tell MVS. If you want to go read the APF list, here's the member to read. If you want to read, and I'm no, I'm using terms that we haven't described yet. If you want to read the link list, here's the member to use. If you want to read the uh, LPA list, here's the member to use. So there's a whole bunch of parameters that you can put in there that they'll, then MVS will then look through. Okay, I want to use APF list NS. I want to use link list NS, et cetera, et cetera. So you can customize that list to you know whatever suits your needs, and um, you know you can make different different suffixes. You don't have to use N S. You could use zero zero, zero one, zero two, whatever you want. So it starts from something
1: that's a, 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 like a nucleus, a very – this is the, the, the DASD address and the suffix for the load at XX member, and it seems like it just kind of expands out logically yes. from there. exactly,
2: exactly. You have to tell MVS kind of – and I'm going to say MVS because I've been doing this for a long time. It's ZOS, but we'll, you'll, you'll hear me interchange words. But yeah, MVS, you've got to tell him where to start, and then once you give him you know, pieces of information, he's just going to start building and building and building. Think of it like – building a Lego, you know, kit. You start with one block, and then he just keeps adding blocks to it, and, you know, eventually you're going to have this big system that has all these different components running on your environment.
0: And that first one kind of defines where the next set of blocks are to look. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And, and it is going to look in a specific data set name to start off?
2: So MVS will, will start with looking at Sys1 IPL PARM. And that's where he'll look for the load member. And then once inside that load member is where you point to sys1parmlib, and then it just right. follows from there.
0: So as a as a system programmer who manages multiple logical partitions, multiple mm-hmm. LPARs, mm-hmm. do you normally have one big honkin' sys1parmlib with these different members that point to the to different components, or yep. do you do you tend to
2: okay. So what we do, and and it depends on what environments you have, but so in something called the SysPlex, it's definitely recommended that you share a Sys1 lab. So a SysPlex is where you have multiple LPARs or multiple systems that are kind of grouped together. So if you heard Dave Sermon or or you've seen some other presentations, these systems are all coupled together, we we describe them. So in the environments that – some of the environments that I have – We have systems that are multiple sysplexes, but we share the same ParmLib. So why do we do that? For example, if we have one environment that is down, I can get to sysform ParmLib for that environment from another system. So I have another way to access the data. So that's one example. Another way is just it makes life easier. I don't have to duplicate the data, um, you know, seven times if I have seven systems.
1: And how do you manage multiple releases where there might be a change in the way that uh, an aspect of ParmLib is set up from one release to the next okay. when you do it that Good way? Good
2: example. Good. So, for example, if you're running ZOS, you know, the latest operating system is ZOS 2.3, which will GA in September. So if I'm running ZOS 2.3 on System 1 and I'm sharing ParmLib with System 2 that's running ZOS 2.2, right? how do you manage? Because some of the updates may not you know, be allowed in ZOS 2.2. Before I answered that, so what usually happens is there's something called toleration PTFS. So the lower releases will support a new ParmLine member or a new parameter in a ParmLine member, and just issue a warning saying, you know, I found that member parameter. Uh, it's it's recognized, but it's not supported. So we'll just kind of ignore it.
1: Okay, I won't freak out over it. I know what this right. is. Right. Sometimes
2: won't. it won't it won't stop and say, you know, abort abort, <laughs> you know, do over do over. Right? Danger the, danger. The, world danger world danger yeah right. <laughs> But but there are cases where you you just can't do that. So in those cases, you're going to set up a separate member in sys1 parmlib that you know only will have the specific entry for ZOS2.3. So the ZOS2.2 system is not sharing that specific member
1: because you can use symbolics and key off of like the the system name or the release level as well.
2: Yes, yes. But like I said, in that in an IASIS member. So for example, if we were sharing IASIS00 with two different systems what i could do is i could create an ias01 for that 2.3 system and then if i'm updating parm i don't know i'm just going to make a, a, a parm up you know bpxprm i could say bpxprm would be using 01 on that 2.3 system the 2.2 system would still use 00 so he's kind of separated there but they're still sharing the same sys1 parm lib they're just pointing to different members within sys1 parm lib
0: so i would assume that when when you've got a, a sys1 parm lib in a huge SysPlex, that it's a fairly large data set.
2: Yes, yes. Uh, I was looking at mine, I mean, and and there's a lot of extra stuff, but, you know, it can get up into the hundreds because one of the things that I always preach, and it doesn't matter how small of an update you make, please always make a backup copy. (laughs) Always make a backup copy, right? You never, just things happen. So, Yes. So if you think about, you know, every member that you have and you have a backup copy of it, yes, it can get, you know, very unwieldy. So it's important to, you know, keep it organized, keep it, you know, streamlined as much as possible. But I do want to go back to the question about um, the ParmLib. So I gave one way of handling ParmLib between two different releases. You can also set up something called a ParmLib concatenation. So I can make a Sys1 ParmLib.ZOS 2.3, for example, that only the 2.3 system points to
1: and that would only have the deltas between them. Right, that okay. would only
2: have the differences of the 2.3 changes. Oh, okay. Yep. So a few a few different ways to manage that, but So when you
0: point to these other members, is that where you would say uh, this member is in a different data set or is there a is there a kind of a concatenation model that it goes looking through a set of data data sets? so find a particular member
2: or? So in the load xx member, you would define the ParmLib concatenation. So in there, I would say Sys1 ParmLib is the first data set that should be used. Then I could say Sys1 ParmLib.ZOS 2.3 would be the second one. I could say Sys1 ParmLib, Sys1.IBM ParmLib would be the third one. So um, let me talk about that one quick. Sys1 IBM ParmLib is the ParmLib that's supplied by IBM. So that generally contains a lot of the IPCS members or something called component trace members. So in ZOS, we have a lot of RAS capability. So tracing is is one of the biggest items that we have. So we also have IPCS members, which allows support personnel or service personnel to look at something called a dump and see what's going on within that component.
1: Being that there's hundreds of members uh, across different configurations, you must rely pretty heavily on, like, Health Checker to... To maintain sanity, or do you just eyeball it?
2: Yes, no. We, yes, Health Checker is a great tool that we use. Um, we also use some of the newer commands like DIPL info, which will tell you what ParmLib member you're using. So you can use DIPL info, it'll tell you what the ParmLib, the LoadXX, and the ParmLib member. Then you can do a DIPL info, comma, prog, for example. It'll tell you what prog members you pointed to. Um, you know, link list. So all the different members that are in IA sys are supported by that DIPL info. And MVS also has a dspace ParmLib command, so I can see what the ParmLib concatenation is. So that's how I kind of – you can follow the tree, if you will.
1: Could you uh, – we're not going to do this for everything you bring up because we'll be here (laughs) literally all month. Um, Can you talk a little bit about LinkList
2: and uh, APF? Right. Okay. So APF APF, (laughs) um, is Authorized Program Facility. So what ZOS has is ZOS has this concept of only certain data sets are allowed to be authorized. So what those data sets are, you put in something called the APF list, and the APF list is we call it as the progxx member. So in there you put what data sets you want, like sys1 link sys1 you know one of the JES2 uh, data sets, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So um, with the APF list, what you can also do is once you put the data set in the sys1 parm member, it's authorized at the next IPL. But if you want to APF it dynamically, you have the ability to APF that data set dynamically, and that's just through a series of MBS commands.
1: And authorized just means that it can be addressed at boot time?
2: Um, authorized means that it have, has access to certain parts of storage that are critical to the MBS system that we don't want every single program to have access to. So think of it as breaking it up into user accessible storage and system protected storage. Okay. So that, that's my analogy to describe it. Um, so link list was your other one. So link list is the equivalent of, um, in the Unix world, think of the path statement. So link list is where you want to say, if I want to locate this program, I'm going to put it up in an area, put it in Sys1 ParmLive. Again, it's a xx member, but I'm going to say Sys1 LinkLive is in the link list. So everybody can get to all the modules that sit in Sys1 LinkLive. So there's a whole bunch of data sets. Again, the best equivalent is the path statement in the Unix world. Yeah,
1: I brought I brought those up together because mm-hmm. a lot of times when I was uh, installing something or configuring something, mm-hmm. one of the steps was APF authorize these yep. and add okay. these to link right. list.
2: Right. It's funny because I was thinking about things to say, and and one of the most common up members that we update are the APF list, the link list. I would say are probably one of the two most commons.
0: Yes. Don't um, modules that live in APF also have to be link edited with the APF?
2: Yes, the, the, so the modules need to be link edited with something called the authorization code. So, some, uh, authorization code of one means that they're authorized. So, AC of one. So, if you go into ISPF, you do 3.4 on the data set, there's a column that says AC. And sometimes you may have to scroll right. And I'm gesturing with my hands. <laughs> <laughs> PF11, go to the right.
1: Fr- Frank's authorization code is 1234. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't tell anybody that. <laughs>
0: Got to change the combination of my luggage. <laughs> <laughs> so so you, you you mentioned a couple of of different members. It sounds like you gotta kind of memorize a set of basic names. You, you mentioned uh, BPX. Mm-hmm. You mentioned IEA. Uh, you've mentioned a, a bunch of them. Is this yep. like? Is it a big list of of things that you have to memorize, or do they have to be those names?
2: Okay, so. Y- Yes. So, well, you don't have to memorize it, obviously. There's a lot of information available, right? a lot of the books. For example, one of our favorite books, and if it's not your favorite book, it should be on your top ten <laughs> list. It's The, the MVS and Knit and Tuning reference book. But That sounds
0: like a real page turner. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to wait for the movie. Good idea.
2: <laughs> um, the names do need to start with a certain prefix. So, for example, the BPX ParmLive member needs to have the prefix of BPX PRM. The suffix can be anything you want. Again, zero 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 one, NS, you know, ED, whatever. But the prefixes do need to be, um, you know, they're predefined by MVS or ZOS, so they need they need to adhere to the rules that are described in the books. Yeah, you can't just call my Unix member is going to be called Unix underscore Neil underscore help. Right? It, it's got to be <laughs> BPXPRMXX. So yes, predefined predefined prefixes.
0: And IBM sets those up when they create the subsystem or create the...
2: Yes. So when they create the component and then if the component has a a reflective ParmLive member, yes, there's going to be a rule that says it needs to be called this and that'll be documented in the reference book. Is there a history behind the prefix BPX? Ooh, is there a history behind that? I don't Know if there is I'm disrupt- uh, so the messages so the the messages that are issued by Unis, ZOS Unix system services. That's a mouthful to say. <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta say, like USS maybe that'll yeah. be faster for me. That's why we changed it. Yeah, um, they begin with BPX. So the, since the messages are begin with BPX, perhaps that's why they made the Palm member BPX as well.
0: Right, and and I'm trying to remember because I was part of development mm. back then. Well, that explains it. Yeah, I did not come up with the, <laughs> with the names. But uh, there was – I'm sure there was a reason. They come up with the with the high-level qualifiers for a reason. But we'll have to get um, one of the old yes. Unix System Services guys to find out what the BPX – I
1: bet his initials are BPX. <laughs> I bet that's why. <laughs>
0: that reminds me of a story that's too dirty to tell here. Maybe. Maybe <laughs> I'll, I'll give that to you.
2: Right, but some of the Parm Lab members like um, CEA, for example, it's called CEA PRMXX, but CEA is Common Event Adapter. So some of them have abbreviations that we know of. Some of them I'm just not sure where they came from, but (laughs) I'm sure there's a a valid reason for them. I want to ask kind of a
1: a non-technical question here if that's all right. right. Don't worry. I better you better get a drink. Take your water. Yep. <laughs> so I, I'm a gamer. I uh, and a lot of the games I play, you don't realize until you're like a week or two into them. Wow, this is really, really complicated. And, you know, there's multiple button button presses at the same time. There's complicated gameplay mechanics, mm-hmm. and uh, you don't realize because it's kind of unfolded so slowly that wow, I've I've learned a lot of specialized skills for this thing. Mm-hmm. But you eventually turn the corner and say, okay, I'm going to go all in on this, or you say. This is way too complicated and it's not all that fun and I'm just going to go on to something else. Mm -hmm. Um, At what point in your career or in a typical mainframe career do you think someone is able to turn the corner from, wow, this is overwhelming to, wow, look at all the stuff that I have to play with?
2: In terms of number of years, or in terms of (laughs) well, just asking
1: number of years—that kind of answers the question there. But what what is something that is going to make somebody uh, you know see it as enabling instead of uh, overwhelming?
2: Okay, so I mean, typically we would say about a year before someone kind of understands. Or gets the hang of sys1 ParmLive, What to do? What to update? What things you can update dynamically? What things you shouldn't update dynamically? Uh-huh. So you know, and and again, there's just there's there's a lot of different components in ZOS. So before someone is completely skilled at ZOS, I mean, my typical rule of thumb has been about seven years before I can give a project to someone and they can run independently. That that's generally been my rule of thumb. But for someone that I you know just needs to do some basic, day to day type work, it's usually been about a year before we can have them update Parmlive without you know watching over.
1: And I, when you first came in, you said uh, even with, without a hint of sarcasm, that I I know a little bit about this, <laughs> and it, it's funny because I've never met anybody who actually knows anything who says yeah I know everything about this. <laughs>
2: Uh, th- that's funny that you say that because, yes, th- th- it is – there's so much information. There's just so much to learn. There, There's just no way, at least in my opinion, humanly possible to know everything about ZOS and MVS. There's just uh, – just when you think you kind of get the hang of something, you know, there's a little wrinkle that throws, ya- throws right. you and you just look at it and say, jeez, I just don't know anything.
0: <laughs> but I, I always think of the system as this huge wall that has a bunch of dials and buttons and – and you can know a set of them, and you can have, oh, I know these, and they, they kind of, we always leave the dial around here <laughs> because that works really well. Right. Um, but there's somebody who knows all the ins and outs of what made that dial the way it is. Right.
2: Yeah. Um, but just think about the, the, and not just a ZOS operating system. I mean that it's running, you know, thousands of different types of workload. It's running DB2. It's running WAS. It's running, you know, Apache web servers, Kicks IMS, TSO Interactive, Batch interact, uh, you know, Batch Workload, Unix System Services. It's running all that concurrently, right? Concurrently. It's not just one user logged on. It's not 10, u- you know, it could be hundreds or thousands like we have. And when you just keep bubbling it up to the entire Z mainframe, you can have multiple LPARs running ZOS workload, running ZVM workload, coupling facilities, you know, TPF operating system, and that's all running concurrently. So it just, it's just—it's mind-boggling, and that's exactly what my point is. There's just so much. There's no way you could learn all of it. You know, you can have a big picture idea, and and that's what I try to strive with people: is have a big picture, understand how the things flow, and you can go look at the books. But if you don't have that big picture and how the things all relate to each other. Then you're gonna, you know, you're gonna struggle for a little bit,
0: and that's why it'd be great to have some kind of podcast that yeah. lets people understand that that high level picture.
1: Yeah, that broad tea type of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: We should find one.
1: We should. So uh, we're we're kind of coming up to the top of the hour here. Uh, uh, we would like to play a little game with you, if that's all right. Uh oh, it's okay. a little game we like to call my Mind favorite. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Let's try it again. One, two, three. My, My favorite, favorite acronym. acronym. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> they locked the door so You're I gonna can you love this. So I, I have before me a list of uh, acronyms or you know, just words with a jumble of letters in them. And uh, I want you to tell me if it's a real thing. or oh, if it, no. Or if it's something that I just made up. Uh, alternately, you can also tell me what it is if you really want to slam dunk it. So if I was to say <laughs> – uh, for example, IPCS. Mm-hmm. You you would say
2: that's a real acronym. Yep. And what does it stand for? Oh my gosh! Interactive. <laughs> uh huh. Oh no! Program. Oh. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I start, I should. I should have stopped at I. <laughs> but you know what CS usually stands for here. Oh my gosh! Moving right along. Yeah, go to the next one. Okay. Uh, uh, pass.
1: Pass. Interactive Problem Control System. Okay. Okay. Some, some of these are, are a little old too, I think.
0: Yeah, IPCS is not a new one, that's for sure. Right, mm-hmm.
1: no. Uh, how about a MIF? M I F. Yes. Okay. any, any And guess? what does it stand for? Any guess? Oh,
2: my gosh. Image. I know the eye is image. Okay. You're working at it from the yeah, inside. I'm doing out. The oh, good at the eyes. I'm good at the eyes. All right. <laughs> the eyes have it. M, I'm going to say, I want to say multi image facility. I'll give it to you. It's multiple image facility. All right. Yep. There you go. All right. This is stressful. (laughs) Uh, Parallel OEMI. Parallel OEMI. I'm going to say no.
1: Oh. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) It is a reference to an older IBM standard for a computer peripheral interface which defines the IBM System 360? Oh come on! 360. system 370 channel to channel. Oh my god! Channel to control unit interface.
0: See, if if he had gotten that one, we'd have had to buy him lunch. Or
2: something. <laughs> Jeez! Uh, now I only get a smoothie. L <laughs> P O L. L P O L. I'm gonna say no. You're correct. Oh, good. <laughs> that was the logical. Partition offloading library,
1: which I just made up. <laughs> <laughs> sounds good, though.
0: It does sound.
1: If, if there's anything, it this... sounds impressive. Yeah. yeah, you'd want it. <laughs> uh, if if this game has taught us anything, it's that uh, if it ends in CS, it's a control set, uh, and if it ends in F, it's a facility. Facility, yep. yes.
2: But see, that's tough because we we always call CS like comm server.
1: Oh yeah, that's, true. that's a
2: component, right? Mm, so.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. this This one's this one's for Frank, but uh, well, you can play too. VRDN. You can take this one, Frank.
0: Vir- virtual reality. I don't know. Virtual reality.
1: We could make it up. Yeah. Data network. There we go. Oh, you got three out of four. <laughs> virtual redundant data network. It's apparently like a token ring of token rings.
0: And that's why you asked me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, uh, God.
1: Okay, this one actually came in from a listener. Ooh. Uh, what does HASP stand for? Oh,
2: right. Oh, my gosh.
1: <laughs> so it is valid. It and, is and valid. It's, and it's the yes, prefix,
2: yeah. right? It's a prefix for jez. Right. You've you mentioned to... it several times today. Oh, but what does it stand for?
0: <laughs> right. Hasp was the precursor.
2: Yeah, right. Right. I I don't know what it stands for. It is the Houston Automatic Spooling Priority. I, you know, I thought it started with Houston, but I'm like, that doesn't sound right. Yeah, there's a,
1: there's a whole interesting story behind mm-hmm. it. We'll put it in the show notes, um, or you can just spend two minutes Googling. Uh, it's actually on the SHARE website about the history of Haspen, why it shows up as orange with the lock in the, uh, right, the right. SHARE program stuff. So definitely check that out. Uh, and we'll do one last one here. Let's go with, uh, let's see, LSQA. Yes. Any idea? I want to say, oh, gosh. This
2: isn't what you planned on doing today, No, this was not exactly what – this wasn't on my itinerary. I'm going to get on a web Um, conference. I'm just going to – Yeah, I'm just going to chat. It's a large (laughs) system queue area.
1: You got three out of four. We'll give it to you. It's a local system Local, that's it. Yep. Ah. yep. In ZOS, one or more segments associated with each virtual storage region that contains job-related system control blocks.
2: Well, now I feel like this big.
1: <laughs> Actually, I'd say you come out a winner on this. Yeah, There's... everyone's a winner here. Yeah. On, uh, my favorite acronym.
0: Yeah, not everybody. I it sounds like I'm the big loser. Don't even say anything. Crickets. I would like to take this opportunity to thank Neil for coming over and subjecting himself to this <laughs> madness. That we call a podcast.
1: <laughs> well, thank you for having me. Takes a big man to come down here. <laughs>
2: Appreciate it.
0: And uh, we'll give you your prize later for uh, <laughs> for my favorite actor. Yes.
2: <laughs> thank you. Thanks. Thank you.
1: Well, I feel smarter. How about you?
0: <laughs> Every time Neil talks, I feel smarter. Mm-hmm. I definitely learn stuff that I've never known.
1: I've That's re- typically how learning works. <laughs>
0: Well, I, I think there's a whole lot about starting up the system that even if you have done it, you oh, just yeah. kind of, I just IPL and I'm done.
1: And hearing it put the way that he puts it uh, was was extremely helpful.
0: Yeah, I think he's going to be a, a hard act to follow. So
1: We're still looking for your feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. So if you've got a few minutes and don't mind uh, leaving a few words, we would greatly appreciate it.
0: And if you don't want to send us a VM tell, you can always leave a comment in the mainframe subreddit slash R slash mainframe.
1: Also on Twitter at TerminalTalk and email contact at terminaltalk.net.
0: Hey old man Charlie, take us out. You've been listening to Terminal Talk with Frank and Jeff. For questions or comments, or if you have a topic you'd like to see covered on a future episode, direct all correspondence to contact at TerminalTalk.net. That's contact at TerminalTalk.net. Until the next time, I'm Charlie Lawrence, signing off.